everyone, and welcome to episode number 52 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them. I'm your host, Ken Toller, and I'm back with Mike McCabe, our um, fearless co-host as we enter the, the depths of security in DevSecOps. We're continuing the buzzword bingo and all of the things that uh, we have to do to keep security straight in 2023. So a couple of announcements up front. Um, I'll be speaking at uh, OWASP AppSec Dublin in a, in a week here. Um, so hope to see you all out there. I'll be talking about the power of DevSecOps in Web3. So two major buzzwords in that one we're going to unpack. Uh, so if you're in Ireland or you're out there, uh, please stop by, say hello, and uh, and let's chat. And Mike, you're going to be there too, right? So, I mean... Yep, I'll be there to heckle you. Will you be adding AI to your buzzword bingo for the talk? Not this time. I think I'm going to need a couple of... Uh, I think I'm going to need a, a little bit of time to, to get the third one in there. I'm not, I'm not uh, as well-versed in that Just yet add screenshots from chat gpt and you're good that's true i could i'll probably put it in there um i was thinking about trying to use some of the ai art in the presentation but we'll see i don't know i know it's a, it's a touchy subject so um you're taking you're taking people's to be, jobs to be seen to be seen um so look uh we are thinking about just jumping into a topic we've actually covered um when jameson and simon were on the show uh and uh we talked about application inventory and it was episode number 21 and we got into the the general view of what application inventory or asset inventory means to operations folks like jameson and uh software engineers like simon and I thought it would be a good time to um, recycle that conversation and have it with with Mike here because we were talking a bit uh, before the show, and I think you know our heads went in different directions on that a little bit, and so wanted to to just unpack that today and talk about sort of where we are with application inventory, um, why it's important in any software development lifecycle. And just what the different views might be when someone says, hey, we need an application inventory or we need an asset inventory, depending on where they come from. So a lot of um, Mike's work is uh, in cloud and DevOps and things of that nature. I'm uh, more inside of like Web3 and um, sort of modern build pipelines that uh, are really mature in some areas and then really, really lacking in others. So we have some different perspectives from the last year that I thought it'd be cool to get into. Um, so Mike, uh, I know I've been talking a lot, but just wanted to give that intro. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what we were covering earlier in the pre-show about like how you view app inventory, uh, what drives you to start an activity around app inventory and, and how you might tackle that with a client or, or a, a friend? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I certainly would not bore a friend with with that. Well, yeah, we were we were talking before, and app inventory brought up something completely different to me than it did to you. Which I think they're related, but they're not exactly the same. So I always think of 
I think of app inventory, I think of all the uh, application and service discovery startups that have popped up in the security world in the past few years, people doing, you know, just network scanning and internal network, external network, trying to find services to, to tell you what you have out there because people have such a bad job or do such a bad job of kind of keeping track of what they have on the internet or internally. That's where my head went at first, but then we were kind of talking through it more. And we were talking more in the sense of having like a, a robust inventory or catalog of all the applications you have in your environment, um, which can be done with one of those tools, but those kind of only scratch the surface really compared to what we're talking about, which is having a very in-depth view of kind of what your whole app ecosystem looks like. Um, so knowing, you know, it could be things like the data sensitivity, if it's internal, external, when the last when the last time it was tested, what the like framework it is, the libraries it uses, known vulnerabilities, like all those kinds of things. Um, and I was saying that's that's something that I've done at previous companies, which, uh, like I joked, it's it's painful to do, but it is very powerful to have just like a whole register of all your applications and say. Here's our riskiest applications based on this criteria. Here's our least risky. Um, then use that in a whole lot of different manners. So, um, yeah, I think it means different things to different people. But, uh, yeah, I think kind of agreed on that's that's one way you can use an app inventory. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, my my when I'm facing app inventories, usually it's because someone's asked us to do an assessment or they've asked us to do some sort of I'll call it right hand work, like uh, pen testing, dynamic assessment, source code review, or we're on a retainer and we we have to cover a bunch of applications or something. And it's like, well, where do you want us to start? Um, and a lot of times it's it's they just sort of say, well, you know, here's a set of repos, especially in like Web3 and blockchain. Everything is just a repository. So you would think it's really easy. OK, well, you know, what's this thing? It's called. Um, you know, front end UI and what's this thing? Okay, well, it's called the transaction contract or something like that. And so it's kind of easy to think of it in that way. Well, I'll just have, I'll just go through these repositories. But you start to realize pretty quickly that even if you have a list of source code repositories, you don't necessarily know how they fit together, uh, what works with, with what else. And so in these like super modern distributed teams, you find that there's not really a lot of high level diagram documentation. So there's not a lot of threat models. Um, there are some diagrams. I don't want to say this is persistent throughout the entire ecosystem um, or there's logic diagrams and not necessarily like API diagrams. Um, and some of it's distributed. So the things that you're talking about, like um, what did you, what did you, what, would, what was the, what is that, um, that tool category? the API category thing. App yeah, the service. app discovery. I don't know why my brain had a brain fart, but yeah, the service discovery, app discovery stuff is like trying to operate in that API security space, which is, I think API security is a big buzzword now too. Um, and so it's it's taking this like outside in approach and it's it's like, we're all around, we're all over the place in terms of how to prioritize something um, and how to decide what to start with and how to look at the upstream and downstream dependencies of applications or of APIs or contracts or whatever, and how they all fit together. So for me, it's like, how can I 
bite off a big chunk that represents a business operation or something that's important to the business that they say, yeah, all these things together, that's a really important thing. And we need to evaluate all of the components. And not only that, once we have this view of this thing, um, we should probably understand what elements of it are more risky or more important to evaluate than others. And like that is your, that's like your first focus. And then what's the next business operation chunk? You know, maybe that is like the help desk systems, you know, and how do those fit together? And are any of those custom? And is that more or less important than this other thing? And that's what I mean by inventory is like, what are the things that you visualize as a business that you, that you bite off, that you need to prioritize for evaluation, for design review, for architecture review, given that most times security is under a resource constraint where they don't have enough people to do all of the things. So we have to pick and choose what we have to do based on risk. So that's what I look at for inventory. And I don't think that the service discovery gives me that view. All it does is give me sort of this raw data of what exists and sometimes, and it's not even complete most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're definitely speaking to experiences that I think a lot of people have either internal or external where people are like, all right, we have a bunch of pen testers. We have app testers. What are we going to test? Okay. Let's test our main website, our main web application. Um, oh, okay. What piece of that application are we going to test? Are we going to test the APIs? Are we going to test the front end? Like, and you just go down a rabbit hole of like, okay, we have, especially with larger companies that have just tens if hun or hundreds or thousands of applications, which is, you know, pretty realistic these days for larger companies to have literally thousands of applications, especially if they've been around for a while and been doing custom development or buying products and putting them on their network for a while. Um, but yeah, you get into that, like, okay, we only have so many tests we can do. We only have so many people we can put on to tests or we only have so much consulting budget, what should we actually focus on? Um, and yeah, it's it's sometimes hard to answer. Having, while you were talking, I was thinking like if if a company had a app kind of catalog that had, you know, the, the architecture layout, you know, a diagram, the flow diagram of data, all the different components, said what the data sensitivity was, like had all the you know, an S-bomb in it, all those details, that would just be, that'd be like, that's a fantasy land. No place has that. That'd be like Nirvana. If someone actually had that, you could walk in and be like, okay, here's your entire catalog of applications. And I can tell you based on these criteria what the high risk and low risk is, you know, mm -hmm. you've done enough threat models and architecture reviews that you walk in and you're like, yeah, do you guys have architecture documents? And they're like, no, but we can draw one. And then you spend, you know, a week going back and forth on, a document to say that doesn't actually make much sense or it doesn't line up with the details. So actually having that would be a huge, and that would be, you know, a pretty big win, I think for security teams to have that too, because you could then just, you know, decide where you want to focus your resources. It's also useful for things like, you know, um, this is where S bombs come in, but like log four J type events where you have vulnerabilities and libraries and how you, you know, figure out what is vulnerable and what needs to get fixed immediately and what's a lower risk. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's something to strive for. I don't think I've seen it done incredibly well. Um, there was one place I worked that we did do this as part of kind of the normal course of business. Um, but you know, on one side you have the app and service discovery tools that really scratch the surface and tell you like, 
this software stack is running on this IP and it's you know either internal, external, um, and we can tell you a few more details about it. And then on the other side, it's in-depth question answer sessions with you know architects or app developers really digging through things to get that information. So on one side, you scratch the surface, but you can scale it. On the other side, you get deeper into it, but it's much harder to scale. And so trying to finding the happy medium between those two things would be best, I think, for most people. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think it's, this is why I look at it from like, what's the business function? Because, you know, depending on how the business is set up, how mature they're, I mean, if we're talking about apps, right. Or software, we'll say software. Um, it, it, it can, it can vary in terms of like how they look at the, how, how they look at the big picture. And so it, it may not matter too much, the service discovery thing in terms of prioritization, or they might just be looking at it from a, uh, like an external point of view. And so I think, you know, you mentioned that you did this, you go through these interviews with people and you say, uh, you know, what, it, what, it, what is your application? What does it do? The same things you would go through in an information discovery for like a code review or an audit or whatever. And you're, you ask all these questions about the type of data it handles and you have this long questionnaire and it's kind of an art, right? And so then you get an understanding of that application. You move on to the next team, the next team, the next team. And you find that there's different understandings of how things work together. And some folks say, oh yeah, that, you know, app A, that connects to app B and it, and it does, you know, all the transactions for that application. And then you talk to the developers at app B and they're like, no, app A doesn't connect to us. It goes to someplace else and it just feeds us information. And so they have these different understandings of how things work together. And so there's, there's two, there's, there's like the human element. It's twofold. Cause you're going to get the most, you're going to get the most information, the general idea from those interviews, but it's not going to be accurate. I mean, I would say pretty inaccurate overall, and you're going to be constantly updating and verifying the, the questions that you ask. And then if you have the super technical data, um, you don't have any of the context of why these things are connected. So you might be able to track that in like an, I don't know what that word was, in HTTP request goes uh, from this application to another application. And we know that that's the, you know, uh, an API connection or something, but we don't have the context of why or what type of data it's it's fetching. And even if we were able to pull all of the requests it ever made and like, you know, blow that out to like, here's every request it's ever made and how frequent it's made. It's like, what do we, how do we work with that data? It's kind of overwhelming. Just like if you have a ton, 10,000 vulnerabilities, it can be a little overwhelming to sift through. So I don't know that there's like, a, there is no tool that I know of, if anyone does, please shout out that, um, that does this well. Uh, the closest I've gotten was a feature that was removed from contrast, uh, back in the day, but when it was still like red and silver, um, and it used to instrument like all of the paths and give you like a list of applications more or less. Um, but I just don't think it was super accurate and it was hard to do. And I, you know, it wasn't, it didn't, I guess they didn't find it that valuable or whatever the product team did, it, it went away. So it probably still does it on the back end, but I don't know, might have to pick someone's brain on that. Yeah. Yeah, that brings up, um, I was just at CactusCon last weekend and talking with uh, Ken Johnson from 
absolute AppSec fame. Maybe you know him. Um, but he was talking about how difficult it is, even when you're doing code review or you're trying to do it dynamically, determining all the like endpoints of an application. Um, so, you know, just because so many things can be dynamically generated uh, in an application, it doesn't even have to be documented. Like perfect example with Rails, if you introduce like the device gem, you add one gem and it adds countless endpoints to your app, even without you, you know, mm-hmm. writing this individually out. So, you know, even even doing code review, sometimes it can be difficult to know all of the kind of different endpoints your app would have. So like discovering if you're really trying to get into the details of of, you know, you have an app out there and then what are all the endpoints for it? Even that can be difficult to do, especially do it in an automated fashion. Um, you know, if you have people picking through through routes and digging through code and all that stuff, um, you you probably could get a pretty accurate list. But then just think about it, if you're trying to scale that up to hundreds of apps, how are you going to do that? Um, not to mention it changes. So a month after you've done that work, it's going to change, and then you're going to have to have people do it all over again. Yep. Hopefully exactly. chat GBT can fix this for us. <laughs> yeah. It's, it can't fix much right now. It's always given me wrong information. Um, but I will say that, um, one of the things that you mentioned in there is, you know, this automated discovery of services and you can't really figure out, um, all of the endpoints of your application because what's introduced and all that kind of thing. And that's why I think it's really hard for automation to, like capture the context we need to do what I want to do, which is risk rate prioritize and have this, uh, you know, 10,000 foot view of how everything fits together because it helps me from an offensive perspective, determine how I approach the, like the, the ecosystem as opposed to how do I approach a specific server? So when the service discovery goes out, because all of our applications are no longer like super monolithic and they exist on containers and APIs and across multiple servers and multiple regions and with different URIs and, you know, it's so extensive. If you have an instrument, all of that, you need to be aware of like, okay, if this thing has 30 different nodes that run essentially the same application and it's being load balanced, you need to understand like that that is really to the application one thing. So all of the endpoints on every single one of those nodes should be the same. And so there's two layers. One is when I'm talking about the code and how the code uh, manifests as an actual application, really I should be understanding that each of these nodes is the same. And so if I'm looking at a weakness in code, it's going to affect all of those nodes. I don't need to evaluate the code of every single node because the same code is being deployed. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm trying to consolidate and collapse this view of of this of these nodes and why service discovery kind of gets in the way of that because we're, we don't do a great job of like tagging or maintaining these these labels to consolidate or collapse those elements. And that's what we talked about in the previous episode, which was, well, you can use things like OS query, or you can use tags or labels to automatically place what you need for these collapsing functions so that you can potentially generate an automated inventory. And the lesson we learned from that was, or that we tried to learn from that was, 
well, focus on enabling that capability of providing that information externally uh, to your DevOps team or security teams or whatever, so that they can query these servers and query these applications and organize by label, organize by tag, and to your engineers and developers, make sure that they are including whatever does that, uh, the OS query, the build script or, or whatever, and then look for the absence of that to determine whether or not something's missing. So that was one approach that we were, were thinking about um, taking. But again, I mean, it's super, it, that can be really hard to get off the ground. So you have yeah. to go, you have to have, you know, all of these automated functions in place from your DevOps team to be able to ensure that those things are deployed. So we're kind of back to doing the interviews and things like that. Um, yeah, I kind of rambled on that one, but uh, where are you on that? It makes me it makes me think of another area um, that I wish we had better solutions, and it feels like something that should be a relatively easy solution, but I have not seen it done. Um, which is data cataloging, um, mm -hmm. as in knowing like I think about what are what makes something high risk. It's either you know, does it have sensitive data? So if there's issues with the application or system and it leaks data or someone is able to get access to it and then gets the data that way, that's a high risk. Or it's, you know, someone gets access to a system, then they use that to pivot into other systems. Like those are the kind of risks that I think about um, are, as being kind of high. And I don't feel like we do a huge amount. I don't think we push for it on the kind of AppSec uh, and security in general, but like data catalog and data protection um, process or technology. I know there are some out there. I mean, like AWS has Macy for, for S3 to dig through and find all your sensitive data, which is if you're any kind of organization at scale, it's just massively expensive. So it's not even realistic to, to actually use, unfortunately. But there's other solutions out there too. Um, I don't know of any open source ones, but I know there's other commercial ones. But it would, it like... You know, a developer can say, oh, no, we don't we don't actually touch any sensitive data. And then actually, you know, the, the user ID ends up being a social security number. And they're like, well, it's just the user ID. We don't actually say it's a social security number. Like, you know. Um, yeah. These things, so it's just I mean, it, it's so difficult these days because data is really dynamic, you know, same way. Like applications are dynamic. Data is dynamic. So I think if we're if we are going down the data path, it's kind of like the thing that's missing for me always in data is the app <clears throat> context. So we assume like we look at threat models, like where is the, where is the data persisted or where is it stored? And mm -hmm. so we always look for the sync of where the data goes and we say, okay, well, it's been stored in the database. It's been stored in the contract. It's been stored in a log. Um, but what we fail to recognize is that we're, we're like mentally classifying like tables, rows, fields, when I could go to chat GPT and type in a social security number, social security number goes into chat GPT as a prompt, but like the prompt is not supposed to be sensitive. It's a free form text field. So if that's stored anywhere, that should be classified as sensitive data. But I mean, the, the context awareness you need in order to classify that is kind of crazy. So you yeah. end up thinking about how do we protect all of the data and ensure that all of the data that we handle anywhere 
is uh, classified to the best of our ability, but even the you know default mechanism is secure uh, because because otherwise, if you don't treat it all as sensitive, there's always a chance that somebody's going to put something in there that you didn't expect, and then you know that's stored somewhere that you that you didn't expect. And whose responsibility yeah. is that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, you can't you can't go off of. Uh, I mean, there's like classic. How many how many chat prompts on like websites now for supports are like, do not enter your social security number, do not enter your credit card number. It's like, yeah, data ends up in all the places you would not want it want it to end up. But I do wish we just had like deploy a tool across my enterprise. Tell me all the areas I have sensitive data stored. If that's S3, if that's file systems, if that's databases, if it's queues, you know, whatever it is, just tell me all those places and then kind of work backwards from there to say like, okay, why is this database sitting like outside our lockdown network? What talks to it? All those kinds of things. Because I feel like we're, it goes back to that classification question. If people don't know what kind of data they're dealing with, maybe they're just not aware of the data they're dealing with, then it's never, that app's never going to get classified as a high risk app. And so you're never going to do a deeper dive until something happens. And then you realize, oh, this, this app had SQL injection and it accessed it had sensitive data we had no idea about. So like, I wish we had better solutions to just catalog across an enterprise to say, where is my sensitive data? Whatever that is, credit cards, social security numbers, um, you know, whatever it is. Uh, the flip side of that security brain is like, okay, you want to give one tool access to all of your data across an entire enterprise. That's a little scary too. Um, I don't know yeah. if people would be super comfortable with that, but I just wish there was some magic. This is what chat GBT needs to solve for us. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and who has, who has full visibility? I mean, I'm sure that there are some folks that are in super like tightly locked down organizations, but who has full visibility of data in their organization? How many, um, how many times have you seen, uh, you know, or, or know of uh, data that's been downloaded to a personal computer or sent over email or, and like, once it's gone, it's gone. It's like you, there are elements that you just don't control. And now we're in a day and age where, you know, folks are a bit wary of security practices. So in really open organizations, maybe it's bring your own device. Like how locked down are those devices? Do people use personal devices for things? Are they, you know, I GitHub is like crazy for me because I think about all of the organizations that you operate with in, in GitHub. And in general, you're provided access to source code, and then you clone that source code. And all of that is left to po policy. Once that code leaves the organization, basically it's the responsibility of whoever was joined into the organization. And it lands on a computer that is always out of that organization or is potentially out of that organization's control. And no one knows, you know? like yeah. where that code is going, where it's stored, if it's been re-uploaded, if it's in a private repository somewhere, if it contained secrets at the time, you know, what's the commit history? That stuff scares the bananas out of me because for me, that's where most folks are going. And we could put all the security into GitHub in the world. We could, you know, lock it down, encrypt it on their servers and, you know, put in all of the SBOM automatic scanning and, AI and whatever it is, but as soon as you clone that repo, like you lost, that's it. It's gone. You know, you gave somebody access, they cloned it down.
That's it. You know, it's wild. Yeah. Um, and, so and we've lost control of the endpoint. So what you're promoting is everyone has virtual desktops in 2023. No more laptops. You're <laughs> you're the you're that guy now. No, I mean, I just think that we should probably assume for the most part that um, that the code is available at some in some way when we're evaluating the security of a product. And so it's less it's like to me, I'm you know, I always try to understand, well, how available like these are one of the questions at, that we ask in the inventory. How available is this code? Who has access to this code? Um, conducting 